as I uh, thought about the uh, the day and and thought about just our time together uh, this morning, it didn't take long for me to to decide that we needed to deviate from Psalm 119 for for this morning and uh, and and maybe focus on uh, a different topic. So what I want to do this morning is uh, I want to to remind you of some material that is uh, that is pertinent in in the life of any church. It's also pertinent in the life of really any individual. We mentioned this already this morning, but as we as we um, begin the day, we're 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 beginning um, what will be a long, sad, difficult day uh, for many people. It's a day that will be characterized by grief, and grief is something that we are all going to deal with in a world that is under the curse of sin. Those two will always go together. There isn't an individual in this room who will not one day, if it's not today, be impacted deeply by the heaviness of grief. And honestly, Christians have responded to this whole topic of grief in various ways. Sometimes things are packaged in a way that are less than helpful. Sometimes people have ideas that if my faith is strong and if I'm looking to the Lord, then things that are difficult won't be difficult for me. Things that are sad won't be that sad to me. They won't be that impactful. I'll be able to smile through the storm. But that is a uh, really a completely unbiblical view of what Scripture has to say about grief as it is experienced and, uh, and then just the nature of it. So I would, I would like to just spend the morning thinking about some observations from Scripture on grief as a, as a hope that it will be helpful for those who are grieving, helpful for those who seek to help those who are grieving, and that it will just equip us as we move forward. So Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14 Proverbs 18.14 says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? A wounded spirit, who can bear? Now this is wounded spirit. The wound could come from many different areas, but Proverbs here, is, uh, Solomon is making the acknowledgement that it is excruciatingly difficult to bear up under a wounded spirit. You could also translate that a broken heart. A crushed heart. Grief is very difficult. The first thing that I want us to think about is is just the uh, how do we understand what we're talking about? Even when we're talking about grief, grief is really a complex thing. It's uh, grief and sorrow, or grief and sadness. Those those really aren't the same thing. Sadness is a part of grief, but it's not all of it. 
when we talk about grief, we're talking about a mixture of, of all kinds of emotions that make up a process that people go through. Proverbs chapter 13 helps us when we think about a source of grief. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The uh, expression here, hope deferred, is uh, really it's an unmet expectation. Okay, hope is that confident expectation and that which is good. When it's deferred, it just means it's put off or it's unmet. And it, Proverbs tells us when our expectations are upset, it, it, it grieves the heart. It makes the heart sick. There are some expectations in life that are just natural and automatic even though in theory we know they aren't certain. Uh, when those expectations are upset or they are unfulfilled, it's normal for the heart to be made sick. You know, one of the, one of the most helpful observations that can be made about grief is that it's normal. It's normal. It doesn't feel normal. It certainly doesn't feel good. But when expectations are upset, when things that you knew were possible but weren't expecting to happen do happen, grief is a normal thing. It's a normal response. It's a normal reaction. Job says in Job chapter 3, the statement that's a pretty pretty uh, familiar statement that which i feared has come upon me that which i feared has come upon me in a sense we could say job is communicating here i knew that it was possible if it wasn't possible i wouldn't have feared it i knew that it was possible but i did not expect for it to happen this can be the case as it relates to the loss of a loved one. We could apply this to even um, thinking about Lisa. So many of us expected that she was going to make it. Um, she was doing well and then took a quick turn. The circumstance wasn't expected, at least the timing. But there's also other expectations that get upset that are very difficult to endure. So, for example, Psalm 13. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, where David prays, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? 
How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, we could, we could park it in these verses and make lots of implications, applications here, but it's, it's, it's just from observation, it's, it's easy to see that whatever it is that David is enduring, he is enduring it much longer than he expected. And so because of that, we can even uncover a few more expectations In Psalm 13, it seems as though David expected that he would be able to detect the nearness of the Lord's presence more than he was in that scenario. And that expectation has been upset. Lord, where are you? How long? The heart is made sick. Again, it's pretty evident from the text, how long will you hide your face from me? That David was longing to feel the comfort of the Lord's presence that he just was not. Grievous circumstances can take on a life of their own in ways that we did not expect. It is true that when you walk through the floods, that the Lord will be with you. When you walk through the fires, He will be with you. But He may not always be with you the way you're expecting that to look. God's presence and the promise of God's presence is not the promise of the absence of suffering. And sometimes our expectations can be upset in those kinds of scenarios. Or lamentations. Uh, We've talked about this a good bit out of the book of Lamentations. The book begins with, and this this, this word is used to open up several of the chapters. In the Hebrew Bible, the the book of Lamentations is is, uh, just titled, How? How? That's how the book starts out. How? This is a question that refers to expectations. How could it possibly hurt this much? You know, I don't care how long you have to prepare yourself for the loss of a loved one. You do not possess the cognitive ability to prepare for a crushed heart. We just don't. How? How could I feel this week? How could we be here? Proverbs 15.13 is very clear about this reality that grief can be very intense. Grief can be very intense. Proverbs um, chapter 15 Verse 13b, the second half of verse 13, by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. By sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. This intensity of sorrow that breaks the spirit or can break the spirit. 
Proverbs 14, verse 10. The heart knows his own bitterness, and a stranger does not intermeddle with his joy. It points us to the fact that thinking about grief and sorrow, it can be a very lonely experience. You can feel like no one else really understands. You, You know your heart, you know your struggle. Those around may seem tone deaf to your experience. Well, this is a difficult thing. And so identifying these kinds of realities can be helpful for a few reasons. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, it's helpful because it is normal for intense grief to be very difficult. It's normal. For those who have a strong faith to experience severe pain in times of loss, honestly, not only is it normal, it's right that that would happen. Secondly, it can be helpful because Many times, identifying the source of grief, this upset expectation, can help bring a little bit of clarity of just how do we deal with something like this. So many times, people who are grieving can be hyper-focused on trying to figure out, why has God allowed this painful event into my life? Or some kind of a question like that. Many times in sudden loss, in pain and sorrow, we can become hyper-focused on a lot of the wise, unanswered questions. And you know, sometimes people have the idea that it's wrong to question God in times of sorrow and times of grief. You know, that's an unbiblical position, don't you? It's not wrong to question God. The Bible is full of questions to God from people who are grieving. Now, it's wrong if you're asking God a question in the sense of you're trying to call him out on the carpet, that you are uh, asking a question that really is a couched accusation against God. But Scripture has plenty of questions from those who are grieving, including Jesus Christ in the garden. Toward God. You could say that even about Christ on the cross, Psalm 22. But, you know, we can ask our questions and we're invited to do that and lament. But if we had all of our questions answered, you know, we'd still be grieved, our heart would still be crushed, our countenance would still be sorrowful. And that's because we do not grieve primarily because we don't have answers to particular questions that nag us. We grieve because we have a crushed heart. You've heard me go through this before, but I'll I'll do it again. 
as you work through grief in your heart, and again, we're thinking through observations here, really as we are trying to think biblically about grief, we're, we're in categories of trying to think through some areas of true and false, but we're also trying to think in areas of wisdom. How do we think through this in a wise way? How do we walk through this, work through this in a wise way in light of the facts that we, we do have? And so working through grief in your heart it's kind of like arranging a room in your house. Okay? And you've heard me talk about this before. But you don't get to decide what's in the room. You simply get to arrange the room. God and His sovereignty has brought about the circumstances in my life and in your life. We don't get to choose those things. We simply get to respond to them. We acknowledge those. We, we um, interpret those. We have to figure out what to do with those. And so many times, people who are grieving wish they could just simply forget about or even be unmoved by a tragic event that God has allowed in their life. It's not a realistic option. Sometimes people wish that they could just replace the sadness by thinking about all their blessings. Well, you know, it is good to count your blessings, but counting your blessings is never a strategy for forgetting reality. And counting your blessings... is never a strategy that God gives you to ignore something that He's allowed in your life. One of the things that I think is helpful as we think about just the normality of grief and working through grief, another statement that we should make sure we understand is that grieving is not a sin. Prolonged grieving is not a sin. As a matter of fact, there are some things that happen to you that every time you think about those things, in some way you're going to grieve. And it's right that you do that. And so it's not a realistic option to uh, just forget about or be unmoved by events that God has allowed in our lives. Because God has allowed these events into our lives for a purpose. And God wants to use the grief in our lives for a purpose. And so early on in our experience, many times the pain of grief will be the centerpiece of your room as we go back to our analogy here. You're not going to be able to avoid it. And you're going to be reminded of its painful presence even when you wish you could focus on something else. It just consumes you. There are going to be times where when we are grieving, and this is another reality where I think wisdom has to be our focus. 
You know, there, whenever we think about normality, there is no real normal way to grieve. There's going to be times where you wish you could cry and you couldn't. There's going to be times where you wish you could stop crying and you can't. Neither one of those is right or wrong. It just is. Over time, as, as you live life and you move forward, when I say move forward, I just mean move forward in the pain. It doesn't have to be a permanent centerpiece in the room. And I think it's important to clarify what I'm talking about is the painfulness of the loss. It can be processed. It can be rearranged. It can be put in a place that's not the focal point. It's still present. It still exists, but it doesn't consume your focus. It's going to take time to get there, but eventually you can and will get there. It's also not uncommon to find out that your grief is going to fight, the pain of this grief is going to, re- is going to fight to remain in the, the center of the room in unexpected ways. Maybe you're in the middle of a conversation and somebody brings up a particular topic that reminds you of the individual that you're grieving. Maybe you smell a smell. Maybe you hear a song. Maybe you just have a memory that comes out of nowhere. And along with that memory comes the pain all over again. Well, that's hard. That can be difficult. In some ways, that can be embarrassing depending on where you are. But in the kingdom of God, the fact that we do remember and can even be brought back to the freshness of the pain of loss is a blessing if we think about it the right way. It's a blessing in the sense of the Lord gives us this capacity so that we might use it as we approach others who are mourning, as we seek to grow in Christ's likeness who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We don't really get to choose how we get there, right? The Lord does that. We just get to choose how to respond to what He puts in place. I mean, I think a great example of this was last week whenever... Brother Aaron was leading the song service, and I can't remember now exactly all the comments that he made, but one of the comments was that those who have gone through this kind of loss are reminded that they're feeling, uh, those who they love are feeling the same kinds of things that we felt. And it draws your heart toward them in compassion, in love, and in care. And so grief is a complex thing. It's a process. It's something that we work through. As we talk about it, it would be wonderful if we could go to five verses and make five points, but that really wouldn't be all that helpful. It would make for a good sermon, but it would be completely tone deaf as far as the reality of what it means to walk through 
grief, to struggle. And so secondly, as we think about this topic, I want us to think about avoiding clumsy responses to grief. The source of grief, these unmet expectations, upset, I'm sorry, expectations, the difficulties of the process, as we try to come alongside, help those, minister to those who are grieving, what does that look like? How do we avoid clumsy responses? Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I want to read three passages that are not in sequence, so I'm going to read verses 1, 4, and 11. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1, 4, and 11. So Ecclesiastes 3, 1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Verse 4. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And then verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Well, three realities that are pointed out in this cluster of verses. To everything there's a season. There is a season to weep and a season to mourn. And God has made everything beautiful in its time. So as we think about responding to grief, it's very helpful for us to understand that grief is difficult, but that doesn't mean that grief is bad. Grief is difficult, but it doesn't mean that it's bad. According to Ecclesiastes 3.4, there's a season where it is appropriate. As a matter of fact, we probably would not go this far if Scripture didn't, but according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, there are seasons where grief and mourning are beautiful in their time. It's a good thing. It's a right thing. God's estimation of it is that it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And so as difficult as it can be to watch a loved one grieve, God has not given us the task of trying to eliminate another person's grief. Okay. Our, our task is not to eliminate grief as we try to minister to those and, and be helpful to those who are grieving. And it's worth noting that while we, can elim- while we cannot eliminate an individual's grief, we can certainly add to it. Okay, So this whole section is not meant to paralyze you. It's not meant for you to... Uh, uh, be paralyzed for over-analysis. It's just to encourage you to, to, to think. We all need to think as we deal with what is a delicate situation anytime anyone's grieving. 
So we can't eliminate the grief, but we can add to it. And it's worth noting here, um, as we think about this, in some practical ways, that the old adage that there's no such thing as a stupid question does not apply here. Okay. There are tons of stupid questions as it relates to interacting with people who are grieving. Um, a couple of passages that can highlight an important guide for us as we interact with anyone who's, who's grieving. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you can turn there if you like, but I'm just going to hit the part that I'm looking for. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23b, the last part of verse 23 says, A word spoken in due season, how good is it? A word spoken in due season. You know what that means? It means the right word at the right time. Okay. The right word at the right time. Now, these are all wisdom principles. Don't you wish that it then gave us a long list of scenarios and the right word to speak in those scenarios, but it doesn't. And so you're going to have to use wisdom here and discernment. The point here is there, there, there's plenty of truth that could be spoken. As we think about being helpful... Our job is to try to discern the right truth at the right time for the right person. Proverbs 25.11 is the same principle here. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And really, it's just simply a call for us to take a little bit of time and think about what we're going to say and if it's the right setting to say it. You know, Jesus told His disciples before He was ready to depart, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That means I have a lot that you need to know. I have a lot that I could say that could be applicable, but you cannot bear them now. I'm not going to say them now because it wouldn't be good for you. He later goes on to say He's going to send the Comforter to do that. Philippians chapter 2 also gives us some helpful guidance as it relates to a question that we ought to be asking ourselves before, uh, before we go into a situation where we're trying to be helpful and serve, minister. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. One thing that's helpful, just a question we could get from this passage that encourages us to... Uh, not just look on our own things, but to look on the things of others and to esteem others better than ourselves. As we are interacting with those who are grieving and we're getting ready to open our mouth, it's helpful for us to consider, is what I'm about to say for my benefit or for theirs? Is what I'm about to say 
for my benefit or is it for theirs? Is it that I just don't know what to say, but I feel like I need to say something? And the first thing that's come to my mind is what needs to come out so I can check that off the list and feel better that at least I said something. Or is it I love this person and if I'm going to say something in this incredibly difficult time, I want to be thoughtful about what's said. Now, give a few more specifics here as we interact with folks who are grieving and and in, in, in the nature of wisdom, it's not a one size fits all. So discerning the person and knowing the person is going to help you here. But as a rule, as we interact with folks who are grieving, particularly grieving the loss of a loved one, asking someone early on in the grieving process to rehearse the details of their loved one's death fails the Philippians 2, 3, and 4 question. And it really demonstrates a lack of discernment and compassion. And you may be saying, nobody does that, do they? Well, how do you think it made the list? Okay, People do that. Uh, we do all kinds of things when we don't know what to say and we want to say something. That's one of those things we ought to tuck away and keep in mind. Unless you are incredibly close to an individual who has already initiated a conversation about that, that should not be on your list of things to talk about with someone, or at least to initiate with someone who's grieving. Also, this can kind of fly under the radar, but I think it's worth talking about. When we don't know what to say, but feel like we have to say something, many times our default is to remind the grieving party of a few things that they've already been reminded of more times than they can count. Things like, I know your loved one's in a better place. Or things like Romans 8.28 or something to that nature. Now let me be clear when I say that. I'm not saying it's wrong to say these things. I am saying it's not always the right word at the right time. Um, here's a few reasons why. Number one, we force those who are grieving, or at least we put them in a position to where they feel like those who are grieving, whose heads are foggy, whose hearts are heavy, they feel like they've got to yet again muster up some kind of a response that seems appropriate to a truth that has been lobbed at them a hundred times already. Um, some folks who are grieving can become upset um, because they believe the realities that we're saying to be true, and yet for some reason are still hurting, grieving, and struggling. So for instance, your loved one is in a better place. I'm not saying that should never be said. I am saying that should not just be a default phrase that you throw out because you can't think of anything else to say. <clears throat> because some who have tender consciences will acknowledge that reality and then will spiral into 
If that's the case and I really believe that, why am I still hurting? Why isn't it better? Or Romans 8.28, this is working for good. Why is it that I am not comforted the way that I want to be by a verse like that? And so really as a rule, what we're talking about is that these truths, these realities, and many more, they should not be dispensed as if they're painkillers or silence fillers. Okay, Our job many times as we're interacting with people who are grieving, our job is not to just fill the silence with noise. Even if that noise comes with a chapter and verse from Scripture. Um, Our job is not to try to kill the pain. Our job is to serve, to be attentive, to be discerning. And often a good place to start is Romans 12, 15, as we think about what it means to weep with those who weep. It doesn't mean that you conjure up a good cry with somebody. It simply means that you are a compassionate, present friend who is attentive to the individual in front of you. So think about this. Think about the difference as far as our approach. Think about the difference and trying to be an investigator who collects details about an event. This is the one who's asking questions incessantly. Or maybe the difference in instructing someone by dispensing information that you think they need. Think about the difference in those two things, and then just simply being present with somebody as a friend in their grief, and in their pain. You know, when we talk about this sort of ministry, the ministry of comfort, we really ought to primarily think about what does it mean to be a good friend in someone's time of need. I'm not their savior. I'm not their teacher right now. Um... I'm not an investigator trying to fill in all the details that my mind has not yet gotten. I'm a friend. What does it mean to weep with those who weep? Well, maybe it means giving them a hug. Maybe it just simply means that you embrace an individual and tell them that you love them. This little tidbit probably belonged in an earlier part, but but I'm just now thinking about it and it's worth throwing out. Um, This should free you up to know that your most profound moments in life and the most profound words that come out of your mouth are probably not going to be at a funeral visitation or in the house of a friend who's mourning a loss. Why do I say that? That can free you up from trying to come up with just the perfect thing. More than likely, in people's time of grief, they're not really going to remember much about what you said when they were trying to walk through a situation that they did not want to be in. 
That doesn't mean don't say anything. It just means don't think that your profound words are going to change everything. They're not. But you as a good friend who seeks to love your friend in a way that's informed by who your friend is can be very helpful. Even something like I'm praying for you or if this setting is appropriate, can I pray with you right now? Letting your friend know that your heart is breaking with theirs. Letting a friend know that if you need someone to talk to, I'm a phone call away. If you need anything, I'm a phone call away. Just communicating your care in those kinds of ways can be freeing and can be helpful. Weep with those who weep. It's the ministry of presence. So, thinking about um, the source of grief, unset, unmet expectations, unexpected uh, disappointments. Um, our response to grief. We want to do our best not to be clumsy. By the way, if you have been clumsy, join the club. Everybody else has to. If you are clumsy in the future, join the club. Everybody else will be too. The goal is that you're thinking about these things, and I'm thinking about these things as we move forward. I remember early on, this was whenever, um, whenever Ellen was dying um, of cancer, and she came to church one day, and she looked like she was miserable. And I remember I wanted to go back and to, to check on her, to see how she was doing. And the whole time as I'm walking back to the back of the church where she's sitting, in my mind, I'm saying to myself, don't ask her how she's doing. Don't ask her how she's doing. Don't ask her how she's doing. And the reason is because I knew how she was doing. Anybody with two sets of eyes or with two eyes knew how she was doing. She wasn't doing well at all. And I didn't want to, to, uh, to ask her a question that she was uh, going to have to lie about and pretend like she was doing okay. So I'm thinking, don't ask her what she, how she's doing. Don't ask her how she's doing. And then I get there. Anybody want to guess what I ask her? <laughs> okay. Well, that didn't ruin her day. That wasn't a profound moment in any of that. Um, and so while we want to avoid clumsy responses, your clumsy response does not define the moment. So you pick up, you move on, and you seek to be wiser next time. Okay? So it's not meant to paralyze. It's just meant to equip. And then the third thing that we ought to keep in mind, and this is helpful for lots of reasons, we think about our responses to grief, is that when it comes to comfort, um, we do want to minister comfort. We do want to be helpful. But really, we want to help and, and remind ourselves that there is a companion in grief who is far more able to help than we are. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, talks about Jesus Christ as the man of sorrows. 
one who was acquainted with grief. The word or the phrase there, acquainted with grief, it could we could say it this way that that grief was a familiar friend. It's a familiar friend. Isaiah 63 verse 9 lets us know that not only is Christ acquainted with grief just in general, but in all of our afflictions, He was afflicted. That is, He's acquainted with, with your grief. Christ is a companion in grief. Rather than, than the follower of Christ having this idea that I've got to be strong for Jesus' sake. I've got to put on a, a, a show, a facade for Jesus' sake. I can't be weak because I'm a Christian and I want to bring honor to the name of Christ by appearing to be strong in heavy trials. No, that's not it. If we would honor Christ in our grief and in our suffering, then we will walk with Him. We will seek comfort from Him. We can come to Him in all the rawness and in all of the transparency that the biblical writers come to Him. Why? Because He's acquainted with our grief. He's our companion in our grief. He's not ashamed of our weakness. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 2, 9-11 through tells us he's not, identif- he's not ashamed to identify with us in our weakness and in our suffering. He's not ashamed to call us brother or brethren. We're, we're, we're with him. You know, the experience of grief can be awkward for both the griever and the ones who are trying to help. Relationships can... Uh, get tense at least for a little bit by clumsy things being said. People can seem standoffish because maybe they don't know what to say. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 lets us know that in our grief and in our suffering and in our difficulties and just in life in general, we can be sure of this reality that Jesus Christ will never leave us and He will never forsake us. There's never going to be a time where He doesn't know what to do and He just leaves us to ourselves. Where we're abandoned, where we're alone. He's a faithful friend. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, tells us that we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. As we come to God through Christ, He has an unlimited supply of help. Just the right kind of help for what we need when we need it. And so for those who would minister to people who are in grief, we point them to Christ. The one who comforts. The one who is acquainted with the affliction. The one who has help for those who need it. And for those who are in the midst of grief, we go to Christ again and again and again and again and again as we seek to walk through what He has allowed 
And one of the purposes for that is that we might draw near and find that His grace is sufficient in our time of need. And so those are some thoughts on observations as it relates to grief. It's helpful to understand grief. It's helpful to think wisely about ministering to those who are grieving. And then it's also helpful to know where our comfort lies in our companion in the midst of grief. Let's pray. Father, we... uh, We acknowledge that today is and will be a heavy day. It's a a day that will be um, characterized by grief as we have final visitation and funeral for Lisa. And yet, Lord, it is, according to Ecclesiastes 3, it it is right that it will be characterized that way. And so I pray that you would bless the friends and family to find your grace to be sufficient. I pray that as we as a body try to minister to those that we love and care for, would minister with wisdom. And Father, we pray that you would bless us with the presence of your comfort and help in your Son, Jesus Christ, as we walk through the day and as the family moves forward into the days ahead, into the days ahead, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.